if some of the shit that this guy's saying in his philosophies is news to you about the way the world works, the sins right. of the world, then you're 13. I, I'm just, yeah, like these are things I, I enjoy the articulation of some of the problems of the world, but these are not unknown things. cage i've been doing just fine gotta gotta be down because i want it all it started out with a kiss how did it end up like this it was only a kiss it was only a kiss now i'm falling asleep and she's calling a cab while he's taking a smoke and she's having a drag now they're going to bed and my stomach is sick and it's all in my head and she's touching his chest now he takes off her dress now let me go this week we're going to read the killer written by Mats and illustrated by luc jacquemon a french graphic novel about a man who kills people for money and eventually starts to develop doubts about what he's doing and why he's doing it we chose this book because we thought it would be fun and breezy and because david fincher is directing its adaptation on netflix so hey let's get ahead of it right but we decided on this book before the mass shootings in buffalo texas and the murder of a man on the subway in New York City. In other words, we chose this book before a spate of, of intensifying gun violence across the nation. Yeah, and look, we don't think that there's anything necessarily triggering in this book versus, frankly, a lot of other stuff in mass media, but it is incredibly violent. And all that being said, this book does function as a commentary on the violent world that it and we inhabit. Look, we could pause and have a conversation about the conversation that we are not having in this country about gun violence and the outcomes and the tragedy. Literally, I'm, I've been brought to a pause a little too much in the last couple of years, and it just doesn't stop. And I don't think a podcast is going to solve it. I think legislation is going to solve it. That's my soapbox. I think we have to change our systems. But this is a podcast about comic books and drinking and friendship. And I think that's what we're going to focus on today. The drinking and the friendship, both of which highly necessary in this day and age. Absolutely. So this book, The Killer, works as a character study, a political thriller, an action adventure. But does it work as a great work of fiction? I'm Ryan Joe. And I'm Roman Segel. And we're two guys who are just kind of tired, to be honest. <sighs> yeah, so Ryan, you recommended this book. And again, you've been talking about this book for a long time, months before all of the recent violence. Why did you choose it? I had read the first two volumes of The Killer, I don't know, five or 10 years ago. And I was really intrigued by it. It was a very different take on an assassin. I mean, the guy is moody. In fact, in, in, in the, the, the first hit that he's doing, he actually, for a while, contemplates just turning the gun on himself. What a weird thing to do. And so I was just super intrigued by this character and really wanted to know where he ultimately ended up going. And I stopped reading after two volumes because honestly, they were only available in these hardcovers that were like $30 a pop. I was a poor grad student and I just couldn't afford it anymore. But when The Collected <laughs> Killer came out, I'm like, all right, let's do it. You know, I, I, was, I really liked the first two volumes. Let's see where it goes. And I didn't realize it was 700 plus pages long, but 
there you go. It is a truly an epic, and that's what made me want to uh, want to read it. And also, you know, Raman, I've been making you read a lot of weird stuff, stuff that does some very strange things with narrative. And I figured, hell, look, let's just do something a little straightforward. So, so you know, you don't you don't bitch me out. <laughs> well, you've been you have been talking about this book. This book has been in our spreadsheet, I think, for almost a year. And upon reading it, uh, and I started it a couple of weeks ago, and then a bunch of other stuff happened on this podcast that just kind of kept us from doing this episode. But I got really upset that I was like, damn it, why didn't we read this sooner? Because there's a lot of things I like about this. But on a macro level, I I do always love kind of reading start to finish stories, even if they do kind of meander like a like a Netflix season two of, of a TV show. But I think the thing that I found the most interesting about this was it almost used the premise of it being about an assassin as kind of the sci-fi gimmick. It's like, oh, we're not going to do a commentary on this. We're actually going to talk about this other thing. And it is a little ham-handed at times. The author using the main character, the killer's kind of narrative voice to kind of give a bunch of lessons on world history and, you know, articulating his philosophy, not just as a justification for his line of work. I don't actually think it is that. Just kind of like a lens through which to kind of have a conversation about the inequities of the world. And so you get kind of this like action movie romp with the plot and with characters, etc. And there's like a macro world plot about oil in Cuba and blah, blah, blah. And you get a human study of these people and the two or three or four main characters by the end of the book. But you also just get this commentary, which was unexpected in you're kind of like somehow the story kind of tricks you into a mode of receptivity to it such that by the time you get to it you're you're ready to kind of hear the take on call it the sins of humanity yeah it's kind of like how moby dick isn't really about a whale shut your mouth shut your mouth (laughs) (laughs) it's it's it you know it's it's really kind of his take on you know and matt's is incredibly cynical but it's it's a very cynical take on the history of the world. Oh, by the way, I should emphasize: is this is is this Matt's point of view that that he shares with the the killer, or is this just the killer's point of view and he's just sort of you know inhabiting that character when he espouses all of these things? That you know that's something. Hey, English one hundred and one. Don't mistake the narrator for the for the for the writer. Um, but it is you know I, I I do kind of appreciate how he's kind of trying to weave what the killer is doing within this greater genocidal context it kind of like looking at the sins of a whole bunch of so-called civilized nations and you know in a way i i also do think it ties to the killer's psychology because he's using it as justification for why what he's doing isn't so bad right i mean he's killing people he kills a lot of people throughout this book and he kills them all pretty indiscriminately and i think when he's talking about all of these other you know mass murderers the enslavement of of africans russian war crimes etc cetera, etc cetera. in a way he's kind of like taking his crimes putting it into the context of all of this and he's basically saying hey it's not so bad what i'm doing well it's it's a weird form of whataboutism you know yes. which is it, it is a slippery dangerous slope to accept that and again this is a work of fiction so I think the point of it as the writer is, okay, haha, I'm having a, com- a story about an assassin. 
and an assassin is going to tell you a tale. So the fact that it's a work of fiction, like, makes it a little bit more acceptable. Haha, yeah. ha, reader, I tricked you into reading this fun James Bondian book about an assassin, but I'm really tricking you into understanding the actual death that is not pop culture popcorn stuff well, that happens in the world. I, I, I don't want mean this as a Matt's saying, justifying what the killer is doing. I mean this as, like, the killer kind of justifying to himself mm-hmm what he's mm-hmm. doing so this isn't mm-hmm. i don't i don't necessarily think that matt's, matt's is being like oh yeah this is fine you know hey other people were enslaved and there was a lot of other murders this guy's totally fine he, it, it's it's a killer i i think justifying to himself that what he's doing sure but, so but but inside of the justification and again that's kind of the uh it's not the slippery slope i i think it is the wolf and sheepskin it's the you think you're reading this fun action adventure James Bond, Jason Bourne kind of assassin story. They actually compare you him to James Bond for uh, like towards the end. Um, one of yeah, those, he's yeah, he's the James Bond for the developing world, right? Yeah, um, exactly. But and that's what you think you're getting, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, you got sex, drugs, and rock and roll in this book, right? And it's cool. But I think Mott uses it through the killer's, the main character's narrative, to kind of inject a kind of moral play. It's like, hey, while I've got you here enjoying this entertaining story about an assassin, let's talk about real death in the real world, <laughs> like on a macro scale in the sins of humanity. And again, he uses it as part of the character's narrative, but it almost felt like Gene Lunyangian. Like, it, you know, Gene Lunyang mm. kind of takes a break from, hey, we're talking about high school basketball, but let's talk about race in California, <laughs> you know, and it's the same sort of thing. Let's talk about the indigenous people really quick. What I, so what I, I I enjoyed it. Just the two things I want to bring up there. First, um, James Bond, you know, I mean, he is actually, you know, you you mentioned he's a James Bond of the developing world. And in a way, he kind of is, right? I mean, what is, who is James Bond but a character who exerts the the will of the, the British Empire by force, by violence? And he's kind of the same thing. He's doing it on a much smaller scale, but he's, he's kind of exerting the will of this, towards the end of this oil company that he and his buddies have formed. Right, right, right. So he's kind of like, he does actually kind of become sort of a low-rent James Bond towards the end. He kind of goes from this sort of like contractor, private contractor, to a to a James Bond character. So it's an interesting perversion, I guess, of that sort of government super agent. What, but what I... What I, what I also, kind of going back also to what you said about the 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 way he you know he kind of breaks into you know all of these these historical you know the way he kind of talks about all of the other violent ha- happenings in history i would have what i would have liked is if they matt's challenged the killer a little bit more on that like you know cuz it gets a little repetitive right he kind of keeps saying well after a while you kind of figure out the pattern hey he kills somebody and he's like, hey, you know, a lot of other people did some bad things in history. He kills somebody else. Hey, a lot of other people did some bad things in history. And I would have liked to see that pattern break a little bit. Like what? Okay. We see, get the, that we get the fact that we get that the killer is justifying himself. We get that he's cynical, but what's the next step? You know, how, how would you challenge that philosophy a little bit more? I would have actually liked to see Matt's push the character psychologically. Uh, more than he actually does. Yeah, th- there's not a psychological push. And no. I don't even want to say there's a moral push. But there is, he has to challenge his own code, 
right? Because yeah, that's what I mean. I, I do. I want to talk. I want to talk about the women of this book for a second. So first, okay. Mats yes. and Yakuman love drawing some sex scenes. <laughs> like it's a token, like one or two, and it's very James Bondian, right? Like it is I, not. I, I, like I think the only non-sexy woman in here, or the non, you know sexually drawn woman in here is his sister who shows up towards the end and the only reason she's not she's not clearly sexy is because she has clothes on there's a nun as well (laughs) oh there is a nun yeah but i guess so okay so lots lots of james bond sex aside you know about by book two Mott's does kind of settle down with a partner he's still sleeping around and he justifies that but eventually he has a child and he has his own kind of moral play about not just his place in the world, but the lessons he wants to teach his son. And it's really interesting to watch that piece of the character develop. It was a little weird to have it happen because if anything was contrarian to the work that he did, or almost like very selfish, he's like, I'm going to, I got to get mine is kind of his mentality yeah. by the end of the book. And if anything, if anything, you would think that would ingratiate you to the character. He's, you know, he's protecting his family, but if anything, it infuriated me about him because he's kind of living this hypocrisy. So, you know, I know this wasn't meant as a psychological study towards the end, but it kind of was in the beginning because you do see how he becomes who he is. We see that he just has no problem killing people. There's also in the very beginning a moment where he's going to, I mentioned this earlier, kill himself. He Mm. pulls out a gun and he puts it under his chin and he pulls the trigger and it misfires. That is like literally like the first issue. Yeah. And that is a really crazy thing for, you know, an assassin to do. And, you know, so so that kind of sets up this expectation. We are really going to dive into what makes this inscrutable man tick. And that I actually kind of forgot about that suicide ex- until suicide attempt, excuse me, until I was flipping back to the beginning. I'm like, oh, yeah, he did that. That's kind of weird. Mm. And I feel like towards the end matt's got just more involved in like the political machinations of this company and all of the people he needs to kill on behalf of this company that he forgot to occasionally give us flashes into what makes this man tick it's strange because despite the fact that he's very wordy i mean the guy just narrates a lot (laughs) and yet we don't really know anything about him or well he's he's talking about the world he's talking about the plot or he's talking about the yeah. macro, the it's commentary. Very, it's very external, what he talks about. And sometimes he kind of says, oh, men are scum, humans are scum. Okay, we get it. Repeat, rinse and repeat. But, um, you know, Show a picture of, of a crocodile. Well, yeah, but in terms of like what he feels about his wife, what he feels about his wife when he's cheating on her, what does he feel about his son? You know, we don't get too much of that you know does he actually really love his son it seems like he does but you know does he is he capable of loving anybody and i i kind of feel like those were sort of missed opportunities especially since honestly that's what kind of drew me in in the first place the fact that this guy is so placid ex on the in the exterior his exterior is so placid but obviously he's going through a lot where he's you know if he's going to actually think about killing himself instead of like you know you know when he's thinking about killing himself on the job. And so so that's what where I was a little bit disappointed with the direction of the killer. Like why did you why did Matt's pull back? That was some really interesting stuff to bring up very early on and it just never resurfaced. And you know, that's one I talk so much about 
how much I love the medium of comics and why it does so many things well. And, you know, they there have been attempts to kind of create, I think, a film of this. It sounds like there's close to kind of having something again. But I think something that the medium of film and TV can do better than comics can is let you read between the lines. Like, I mean, again, sequential art, you can kind of kill all the word balloons and tell a story that way. But I think what Yakuman and Mots choose to do, you know, they illustrate it well, but they give you so much narrative design. They give you so much of his thinking and so much of his lecturing and so much of his philosophizing about the sins of the world that, to your point, it kind of leaves something out there. It, for, it, it kind of You can kind of clearly see the blind spot or what's missing. You said a lot, but you didn't say the one thing you should have talked about. Versus in film, and I'm brought to kind of, I hate to say, like a movie like The Professional, where you don't get all the narration of Luc Besson's, you know, uh, mm. protagonist in that film. Uh, but you kind of, you have to see it through the acting, right? And you kind of, every viewer of the movie kind of has to read between the lines and the glances and the brooding, etc. And you can't really bring that to life in comics. If anything, you go the other way and you do this in, in prose as well. You just say a lot of words. You kind of word vomit all over the page. And it's yeah. pretty good word vomit. But to your point, you, you kind of miss the thing that you probably should have talked about versus you could have just had a, a sideways glance in a film and be like, oh, he must be tortured about his son. Well, yeah, I think, that that's, look. I think that's the issue, what you're getting at. There aren't really any consequences to what he does. True, at the end, he does end in he does kind of wind up in exile away from his wife and his son. But that's kind of by his choice, right? His wife says, hey, maybe you should, <laughs> everyone's trying to kill you. Maybe you should hightail it out of here for a little bit. And he's like, all right. So it's it's kind of anticlimactic. He has all of these fraught relationships, these fraught friendships with, I forgot the guy's name, the, the guy who- uh, is The ex-CIA agent and the ex-drug cartel guy. Exactly. Two BFFs, yeah. As well as the police officer. And oh, right. Yeah. Of, right. He, and he kind of creates these easy friendships with these people. And you kind of think there's going to be a point of tension where he's going to come into conflict with them. The police officer is going to have to turn him in or possibly having to turn him in. Or, you know, his his wife, when she learns he's a killer, she's going to have a reaction to that. And it's going to be violent. And somehow. But, you know, when she realizes he's a killer, she's like, OK, cool. And when the policeman realizes he's a killer, he's like. Well, all right, you're a good guy. Other than that, and you know, <laughs> other than that one thing, and even when his 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 friendship with the cartel guy, you know, you kind of think, okay, is it, you know, there there's some tension initially. He's like the cartel guy talks too much, but that never really amounts to anything. And they eventually go into business together. Everything is hunky dory until towards the end when the cocaine when the cartel guy develops like a cocaine habit, gets him you know, becomes, it becomes a bit of a mess, but again, it doesn't really, there's a little bit of friction with a friendship, but it doesn't really come to a head where the two are really at odds. And, you know, in, in a story like this, it's 700 pages. There's a lot of killing. There's a lot of betrayals and, or there, you know, there's a lot of like double crossings, I guess you would expect, you know, when it comes to his close relationships, there would be more dramatic tension. I mean, even with his son, when, when he has to cancel vacation with his son, he's like, ah, oh, I have to go because, you know, stuff, business. The son looks disappointed. He's like, okay. You know, you would, you would kind of want a little bit more pushback, like some sort of something that damages his relationship with his son. And I think that's what another thing that I'm missing from this book. It's sort of like seeing how what he does, his actions, his decisions 
damages the relationships that, the, that he has with the people closest to him. Something worth saying, and we say this on like every other episode. I mean, you mentioned 700 pages, but, and I'm looking at the publication history on Wikipedia, like this book was published 700 pages over, you know, from 1998 to 2013. So over 15 years, you know, five or six volumes, depending on how it was published, where you get a copy of it. So it was an ongoing series and they did kind of manage to thread a bigger narrative. When you read it over the course of 15 years, I can see how the soap operatic, soap operatic kind of narratives kind of make you feel that it's doing something. But when you do read it in one or two sittings, like we just did, I think we can be a little bit more critical of it because there's a lot of space filling. The thing, and again, I completed reading it a couple of weeks ago and, you know, I was very kind of disassociated from it and just kind of having fun and reading it. In fact, I have a very close friend, my college roommate, who's a massive James Bond fan. I'm like, wow, maybe I'll just buy this for him for, you know, his for his birthday. I think part of the problem is because it's so easy and breezy. Those are kind of like the words I, I used to describe it when I when I first read it. I think that's a problem, right? Like, I, I worry that someone's going to read this and be like, man, this dude, he just like, yeah, he has all this kind of like armchair philosophy and he bangs a bunch of hot girls and, yeah. you know, he can do whatever he wants and he's the best and, you know, he does this and he's rich and he's got the boat. And it's like... <laughs> he's it's, got the boat, guys! He's Sorry. got... But yeah, it's it's to be no, clear, yeah. it's cool it's, as shit. It's easy breezy. It's a fun read, and man, the guy lives a life. But yeah, oof. he lives a life. Like I, 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 I can accept this as a forty-something-year-old adult who's read a shitload of comics and just wants to turn my brain off and read it. But and I'm using my words carefully. But God forbid this becomes someone's like manifesto of how to live a life. Well, you know? there's, there's a, there's, I mean, there is a 13 year old sort of mentality at work when he's talking about, I, I don't know, like, like some of the stuff about how oh, all these other first world culture first so-called first world countries raped and pillaged in a way, it kind of feels like how I would argue when I was like 14 or 15. And then again, the, the action sequences are really, really well done. You know, yeah. the, I, I remember the shootout in the desert. I mean, that was thrilling. And I think that's the other thing, right? You can't really the book never really can interrogate like what he does his violent when it's sort of reveling in it at the same time. Right. Right. That's there's just no way, you know, you, you can't be like, man, this shootout is awesome. And then, you know, start thinking about try to try to have a serious discussion about the nature of death. It just doesn't fucking work. So I think that's, that's, that is one of the issues with the book. It, it does try to have it both ways. And, you know, it's, it, it it's very successful as an action comic, but is it successful as a meditation on the violent nature of man? Well, probably not. It kind of undermines itself, you know, when it when it takes such joy and glee in the car chases and the explosions and the bullets flying all over the place. Yeah, I um I'm genuinely curious how this is going to be released in mass media. It looks like it's going to be a feature. And I, you know who's playing the killer? Yeah, Michael wow. Fassbender. Wow, that is... I actually think this... I th I'm actually looking forward to seeing what David Fincher does with it because um, Zodiac, right? So it's actually, so you think about Seven, right? Just a serial killer horror movie, and he also did Zodiac, mm. which begins kind of in the same vein. as a serial killer horror movie, then a police procedural... And then this really interesting character study of 
an obsession. Because after the murders are done, the movie isn't over. It's about Jake Gyllenhaal just being obsessed mm. with this with this the, who is the Zodiac killer, and it costs him his children. Well, it doesn't really cost him his children. It costs him. It costs him his marriage. It costs him any sense of like domestic stability. You also see what it does to the Robert Downey Jr. character, where he's just he just kind of like falls off of a psychological cliff in part because of his obsession. And so you see like the reverberations of the serial killer. They're continue even after. The killing has stopped, and even after, like, and even amongst people who aren't directly impacted by the, by by any deaths, and so I, I actually do look forward to to seeing what David Fincher does with it. I, I actually do think like the killer graphic novel could be really really tightened, and all of the the parts are there. It's just that Matts doesn't go far enough. He doesn't really interrogate the killer, who this man is. His motivations, it, 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 it kind of it, it kind of stays at the surface when Well, it's it's written as a serialized comic book, and that's where Fincher is going to be very interesting because I think there will be an with less real estate, right? Not yes. seven hundred pages in fifteen years. With two hours, you you can you have to pick a theme, you have to pick an angle, and you have to interrogate it. So kind of like, you know, other biopics that I've seen where like the only one that comes to mind, right, is like The Doors by fuck, who directed The Doors? Is the that? Door... I, I won't give me a second. Kind of like The Doors. Fuck, I just like it's off on the tip of my tongue. Kind of like The Doors by Oliver Stone, right? It starts oh, out yeah. as a fun romp in a fun movie, like almost music bio biopics do. But all the good music biopics have that dark twist where there's a bigger angle to be told about the story, kind of the latter third of the latter half. And I think that's what you're going to have to do with this as a film. Because I think the worst thing you could do with this is to make this an ongoing HBO Max Netflix series, right? Where you just kind of revel in it like the monthly issues do. Because that misses the point of... And that's almost dangerous in my opinion. Yeah, so I hope there is a little bit more definition and a little bit more interrogation in the limited time that you have to work with this when you... When you take it to the big screen or the small screen. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of exposition in the graphic novel about, um, you know, when they, when, you know, the machinations of, you know, the the oil company they're trying to form. And, you know, it's actually interesting. Every time he would kill somebody on behalf of them, I never actually understood why he was killing them. Like, I understood that the person he's killing is getting in the way of their business in some way, shape, or form. But I never could figure out exactly how. And I, I think sometimes like Matt's got so caught up in this external, there's like a lot of, there's like this labyrinthine plot that's, that's happening on the surface of different countries and different corporations kind of maneuvering. And the killer is sort of like several layers down. He's just sort of like a cog in the machine. And it was difficult to understand a, why he was being directed to kill this person. And also what are the consequences of killing that person? Like, does that, in what way does that help them? And who should I be rooting for really? Cause that was also <laughs> not very clear to me. Like, okay, so you kill this guy and what? So I think kind of doing be rooting for the oil company, Ryan, that's what you always should be doing. Doing away with all of that from just from a narrative standpoint would 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 help because there could be a lot more clarity added there. By the way, though, it was it's kind of interesting because like a large part of this is about oil from Venezuela, right? They're trying to secure. Oh no, sorry, oh, oil oil from the Gulf of Mexico for Cuba. 
but but Venezuela plays a big part of it before because yes. Venezuela, which is interesting given this is this was stopped publishing in 2013 and then isn't and they were they're kind of talking about how Venezuela is trying to take control of its oil and right after this book was published isn't that when Venezuela's oil economy essentially tanked I mean Venezuelan history is tricky but it was happening at the same time and so it's interesting that they were kind of writing about certain events and commenting on the role of Venezuela in the world economy and the oil economy as things were changing. So that was fascinating. Yeah, so it was yeah, kind it, of it was kind of it was kind of presupposing and predicting an alternative future. What if this happened? And then kind of the bottom did fall out. And the bottom has been perpetually falling out of Venezuela. Somewhere I've traveled, somewhere I have a lot of friends, you know, for the better part of a, a few decades. You know, not just with Chavez and others. So I guess what I'd say is it's interesting that they decided to take a very near future take at it just as the bottom was falling out in a very different way for Venezuela. Yeah, yeah it, it was it's just kind of interesting seeing all of that kind of play out in 20, you know, this, so this the, the book was written before 20 in 2013, before 2013 and just kind of like seeing 92 to 2013. Happened. Or ninety eight to twenty thirteen. So the the Venezuelan stuff would probably was probably written what 2010, 2011? I don't know. Yeah, and just and just and just kind of placing that into context of like what what ultimately ended up happening. Which, by the way, I don't know what ultimately ended up happening, other than what I read <laughs> in the Western media, which obviously I'm biased. That which way. is yeah, I mean another a slight commentary that this book kind of says. It's just like you mm -hmm. know I'm going to oversimplify, but it's this idea of history is written by the winners, right? And who are the winners and what's going on because he is at the end of the book he's effectively cuba's james bond right for kind of a yeah, yeah. a public private like petroleum magnate that the cia and the americans don't want to happen so it's again it's kind of cool near future fiction for the time it was written in a very kind of what if story with again kind of an easy breezy fun james bondian thing going on by the way, I just want to make a recommendation. So one of the reasons why I was really interested in The Killer is because I was I, I really like this other movie that came out called Panic, which stars William H. Macy as a hitman who's really depressed and is going and, and he's basically going through psychotherapy. And so, you know, when I first saw The Killer, read the, read the first episode of The Killer and it opens up with him, you know, in, a, in just this kind of funk, this psychological funk, I thought, oh, okay. We're going to follow that thread and we're going to see where it goes, you know, because I really liked the movie Panic. Uh, obviously, it didn't go in that direction. It, it actually kind of, I think, I think kind of mats, they, they went in, they started in one direction and they probably just got more interested in maybe the overarching geopolitical situation in which the killer works. And it is actually kind of interesting seeing the book shift, you know, after. A, after I, it's a interesting is I don't know if. I think they just kind of started to run out of stuff to say. So it almost became a no, it's, it's uh, true, yeah. shit. What, oh <laughs> shit. What can we do with this? But you know, to be fair, I, and I need to kind of go back in the volumes. Like when did it's like when the Venezuela and the nun stuff starts to happen, that's really when you start to unfold this bigger kind of machinations driven plot, right? Which leads to the end of the book. And I do think it was probably by the time you get to volume three or volume four. So it felt like bots, kind of had a sketch on a napkin of where he wanted to take this because you can't just have like the killer's assassin adventures and philosophize it. You yeah, that could not carry 700 pages. Well, it kind of did. There were sort of a lot of philosophizing from the guy. I will, you know, I, I will say well, what, 
that's another thing that bothered me. What does the killer want? Right? Initially, he just wants to retire on this island. He's tired of the shit. He wants to retire on the island. Middle end, that shifts. He's no longer interested in retiring. He wants to find new ways of making money. But at that point, it became really unclear to me. What does this guy actually want? And I, I, I kind of feel like that is also a big oversight from the from this book because it, in order to have a compelling character, that killer has to, the character, the character has to want something. And um, I, I really lost track of what the kill. What, what's my motivation, darling? What is the killer's motivation? Well, I mean, I think it, it's it's hollow on both sides, right? At the beginning, he's like, "I'm above the fray. I don't need anything. I'm my own man, right? I'm just, you know, I do the job." Blah blah blah. Mm. And and he even kind of pushes back on the trappings of society, you know, kind of all the stuff they say at the beginning of Fight Club, like you know. And by the end, he kind of is caught in the trap of it. He, not fully, but like, you know, the girl he's sleeping with at the beginning, who he keeps going back to, becomes the mother of his child. And he, like, protects the village, and he's about the honor. And, you know, he thinks about the lessons he wants to teach his son and what he wants to leave behind for him. And so he kind of falls into that trap, and he keeps saying, oh, that's not me, that's not me, you know, that's that's for the sheep and shit like that. But in reality he's kind of like falls into the trap. And I, and I use the word trap as like affectionately, like that humanity in life pulls you back into man. Like he, so what does he want? He thinks he's above the fray, but by the end of it, he's not like, even though I, it's funny, I need to go back to like the last chapter of the last book, but it, it feels like they try to hit the reset button with him because yeah. other people are like, well, we got to hire you. And it's, and that was actually interesting because it's like, Nothing has changed. <laughs> you tried to get out. You tried to change your life, but this is who you are, and this is what your use in the world is. So I, you're I back. guess I agree that he thinks he's above the fray. But then why does he make the decision to jump into it? Like he, he really, you know, there's there's parts where he's, you know, he doesn't care. He just got a job to do, and then he starts thinking, hey, wait, why do you want to kill the nun? Why do you want to kill this guy? He starts asking questions, and I never understood why he starts asking questions. Now, is there some sort of sense of morality that he suddenly starts to develop you know hey i don't want to kill a nun like for some reason that's i guess that's off limits he never really seemed to care in the past what is what his victim did or didn't do he just did the job and so suddenly he starts asking questions about about it and and that that was a little baffling to me because it seemed so against who he who matt's had established him to be from the very beginning and even you know, if we if we say, well, you know, he just he realizes he's not above the fray. That, that there's still that ultimate question of, well, what does he want, though, right? I mean, he, just being above the fray isn't a want; it's just a state of mind. You know, is does he have a goal when he's doing all of this? Does he just want to make a pile of money? Does he want to make a bigger pile of money than he already has? It's not a question that I can easily answer, and it's a question that I was really looking for as as the book got. You know, as 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 he became a deeper part of this sort of like conspiracy. Yeah, and again, it's it is this interesting thing of even with the conspiracy, he's trying to stay above the fray, but he can't. You know, he's he's a yeah. corporate officer, and and you know he's trying to help out his friends, and that's what fucks him up in the end. Like when he walks away from his code, as good or as bad as it is, it's like that's what pulls him down. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Even even then, I don't feel he was ever really he was ever really pulled down. He makes the decision to leave, it, which is it's almost sort of like a forced exile. And by forced, I mean forced by the writer. There's no real reason for him to leave. Normally, you would think, oh, if we're threatened. I'm going to go kill everybody who's threatening my family. He did that in the past. So why doesn't he do it this time? I, I, I think, honestly, Matt's just kind of needed him to 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 be in exile. He needed the character. And, and that's, to me, an example of like the writer making a decision rather than the character making a decision. Yeah, you uh, you, you could tell absolutely by the end that's all. The, yeah, it's the like, I gotta end it. the vessel. I got to end it somehow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The character but, you know, just becomes a vessel for publishing comics. There's a lot of there's a lot of like really good material here. I just, you know, it's one of those things that could be tightened. It 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 kind of like skims the surface for too long. But, you know, and, and I do wish it had kind of lived up to the promise that it had in the original volumes that I read. But, you know, there's a lot of... Well, I, I, I think like. this is kind of the problem. Like, even we've talked about this, like, with superhero problems. The problem with kind of superhero comics is when you've got to go on for more than a decade with a character, obviously you have to invent things and try to do things with them. But if there isn't kind of an arc and a purpose, yeah, you just kind of have to keep going back to the well or inventing new crazy adventures, you know? And that's, again, with less time, with 24 issues over two years versus 700 pages over nearly 12 to 15 years, you know? Like, I think you kind of get lost in the woods sometimes. So, again, it's an entertaining romp in the woods, like, but... Yeah, it, it doesn't go the distance like it could if it were shorter, I think. So, under what circumstances would you recommend it? <laughs> Probably uh, not. Threw a little now. twist in that question. Didn't see that coming. Yeah, be older. Have seen some things. If you just want to turn your brain off and be entertained in about three or four sittings, get all six volumes from the library and just read it for a week. Then you're done. Like I, I, it's it is a fun, entertaining read. I wouldn't think too hard about it, even though it tries to think hard with all of its philosophizing. And look, if if some of the shit that this guy's saying in his philosophies is news to you about the way the world works, the right. sins of the world, then you're thirteen. Uh, I'm, yeah. Like these are things I I enjoy the articulation of some of the problems of the world, but these are not unknown things. It, but I again, so under what circumstances? If you if you just want to binge watch a really fun action adventure and you won't be triggered by it, go for it. It's it's James Bond for the developing world. Yeah, I agree. It's, what it, about you? It, yeah, it 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 sort of it it doesn't realize the promise that it has initially, but it is sort of like a fun surfacey read. And if that's kind of if you just really want something that you can kind of skim through and just be entertained and see sort of like, yeah developing nation's version of james bond then the killer is 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 kind of it you know in a way you know maybe present movies sort of accepted the james bond movies don't really interrogate the the character of of james bond and even when they do it's mostly about the awesome action sequences so you kind of take it at that level i think you're going to be very satisfied with the killer so ryan Ah, i gotta ask yes all right so what are we reading next week all right, so next week, we're actually going to queue up an episode from Roman's other podcast, Modern Minorities, where Roman and a bunch of other geeks talk about the celebration and pushback that occurred when Tim Drake, a.k.a. the superhero Robin, came out as bisexual. And the week after that, we're going to 
read two collections from indie cartoonist Simon Hanselman's Meg, Mog, and Owl series, which is about a a bunch of uh, stoner misanthropes, a witch, her black cat, an owl, with an occasional appearance of their neighbor, Werewolf Jones. These guys are always bawdy, often extremely funny, but also very sad. Or, in the words of Daniel Klaus, Hanselman captures that stoner stay-at-home life so accurately that I actually find his comics really depressing. And thank God I don't ever have to hang out with anybody like that ever again. So, in the coming weeks, we're going to hang out with people like that. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. qtdcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old, and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Jones.